Believe it or not, folks, but we are continuing in our series on the book of John. For those of you that don't know, we are actually <laughs> walking through the book of John verse by verse, chapter by chapter, from the beginning to the end. You will find that there's a difference between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's a difference between those synoptic gospels and the gospel of John. The first three is very historical. The gospel of John is very theological. A lot of theology in it. Where the others start with the birth of Christ and the Christmas narrative, this one, the book of John starts with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then he says in verse 14, and the Word became flesh, and the Word dwelt among us. And Jesus said to His disciples, I chose you, you didn't choose me. And He said to the, to the Pharisees, He said to them, You are not part of My sheep, that's why you can't believe, but I have sheep elsewhere too. And I will, I've come to gather them because I'm the good shepherd. And then He raises Lazarus from the dead. And then in chapter 12, can't, can't cover all of it, but in chapter 12 is where Mary goes and she washes Jesus' feet. Wipes it with her hair. So she let her hair down, which is not acceptable in the day. But here she is washing his feet, and he allowed it. But Judas said, hey, why spend all of that on washing Jesus' feet? Why don't we sell that oil and give the money to the poor? Look how noble I am. We should give the money to the poor. And the Bible says, but he didn't say that because he cared for the poor. He said that because he was a thief. Right now, you're not hearing a lot about it, but when, when election comes around, everybody's going to like, oh, the poor, the poor, the poor, the poor. It's not that they care for the poor. It's that they thieves, taking your money, right? And so Judas did this. Of course we should care for the poor, but not just once every four years. So here we are in chapter 13. This is Jesus' final week before he's crucified. John chapter 13. This is the night before he gets arrested. And here in chapter 13, Jesus is meeting for the Passover as they celebrate God's delivering Israel out of Egypt. That was their concept of the Passover, not realizing that Jesus, who stands before them, is becoming that Passover lamb. Isn't that amazing? While they were celebrating Passover, thinking that, all this is about is how God delivered Israel out of Egypt. Jesus was coming as the Passover lamb at the very same time, delivering His people from slavery to sin, not from slavery to Egypt. Slavery to sin and death. So let's read from John chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that His hour had come, that He would depart from this world to the Father, having loved His own, Having loved who? Ah. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Today you're going to see that we're going to look at this chapter in three parts. Jesus declaring his love. Jesus modeling love. Jesus commanding you and I to love as he just did. So here we see, number one, Jesus declares Christ's, or John declares Christ's love for His own. Now, 
There's a sense in which God loves the world, for God so loved the world. There's a sense in which God loves the sinners. He died for them. But here, it's a different kind of love. He says that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them in a different way. He loved them to the end. That's different. That's not the same kind of love because the world might be going in, in, to hell in a handbasket. Jesus loves his own and keeps them to the end. To the end. So there's a sense in which he loves the world. There's a sense in which he loves sinners, but there's a different distinction of his love for those that are his. He loves them to the end. Now was in the end of necessarily his ministry, but here the end means all the way to perfection. He loves his own all the way to perfection, all the way through sanctification to perfection, and you'll see that in this chapter. He loves him all the way into eternal salvation. Verse 2, and during supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Now, they're meeting for supper. And when they got to meet there, Judas already had it in his heart to betray Jesus. This is important because, remember, now Jesus is about to wash his feet. And then he's going to go with clean feet and betray Christ who just loved on him, as many do today. So it's important to know at this time that Judas already knew what he was going to do. Verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father, the Father had handed all things over to Him, that He had come from God and was going back to God, Jesus got up from supper, laid His outer garments aside, and He took a towel and tied it around Himself. So here we see what is very extreme to us. God the Father had just handed all things to Jesus. Read it right there, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to Him, rises up to become a servant. When in fact, to us, the natural thing would be, when all things are handed to you to be under your authority, you don't rise up to become the lowest of all servants. You start demanding to be served, right? But Jesus does the exact opposite. He humbles Himself instead of elevating Himself. Number two, we see Jesus models love. Jesus models love. Verse 5, it says, Then He poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with a towel which He had tied around Himself. Now, just to get the backdrop clear, Jesus and His disciples were already at the table. But the interesting thing is, Custom says they don't come to the table with dirty feet and then get washed. No, they get washed at the door. They were supposed to have already had somebody wash their feet, but none of them were willing to wash each other's feet. <laughs> and so they were already at the dinner table, and then Jesus goes like, so none of you are going to do this, huh? Nobody. Nobody's willing. Jesus gets up, puts a towel around him, and he starts washing the feet and wiping them with a towel which he had tied around him, verse 5. Now, remember how shocked people were when Mary washed his feet just a chapter ago? 
she spent all that expensive ointment and then she used her hair and she was a woman and nothing right about that scenario and everybody's criticizing her. But then the next day when they come to dinner, nobody's willing to do what she was willing to do. But Jesus becomes or is willing to do it. You see, foot washing in Jesus' time was very important. Come to think about it, foot washing is still important to this day. Everybody had to, uh, you know, walk everywhere they wanted to go. And they used open sandals that didn't have socks. So you can imagine how dirty people's feet got just from traveling. And there was usually this pot of water on the outside, like, like we always have a place where everybody puts, takes their shoes off and they put their shoes away and then they go into the house without shoes. Sometimes you want to ask them to put their shoes back on. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> but these guys, what they used to have is the pot of water, which is a cleansing pot where they used to all wash their feet and then they would enter for dinner. But the other reason they had to wash their feet before dinner was because of how they sat around a table. So you'd have the table, it was only that high, and then uh, people wouldn't sit like they do in China, you know, on the floor with their, with their uh, legs crossed like that. They would lay on their side like that. And then the guy next to him would also lay on his side with his head farther away, but with his feet by his head. And so they would lay around the table. So you would understand as to why it was so important to wash feet. But yet these disciples wouldn't do it. There's a reason why they wouldn't do it. Because when it came to washing feet, it was always the lowliest person in the room, usually the slave, the lowest of slaves, would be responsible to wash people's feet. It was a sign of, I am the least here. I'll wash your feet. So you can imagine how important it was for people, for people's feet to get washed. Now when we read the same account of Jesus coming to this dinner, the final dinner before He's crucified, when you read that same account, not in John, but in the book of Luke, you will find what was going on right at that time. The disciples were getting into each other's face about who was most important in the kingdom. Everybody wanted to be the, have the most honorable seat next to the king. Like, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. No, you're not. Remember that story you told me about when 30 years ago when you attended that party? You can't be the greatest in the kingdom. <laughs> and so there they were arguing in Luke chapter 22 about who was the greatest in the kingdom. And now they're arriving at this dinner and they go like, I'm not washing anybody's feet here. My feet's supposed to be washed by somebody here. I'm the greatest. They were championing their own status, their own importance, their own personal ambition was on display at the time. And we now realize why the Bible says He loved them to the end. Jesus walks into this, into this dinner and He goes like, Oh, Lord, Lord Jesus. <laughs> he goes, I don't know who He is. Oh, Father God, help me with these people. These people are too much. You know, they're something else. He's about, to, he's about to get arrested that night. He's about to die that weekend. And here they, they wouldn't even do anything for each other because personal ambition, important status, and so forth. So in spite of their self-centeredness, Jesus loved them through it to the end. Can't, don't you feel like saying thank you, Lord, because that's what He does for you and I. When personal ambition rises up, self-centeredness rises up, 
Jesus loves you through all of that to the end. MacArthur says this about that portion. He says, quote, Only humble people love. And your capacity to love is directly related to your capacity to humble yourself. Jesus was the only one in that room loving. The greater your humility, the greater your selflessness. The greater your selflessness, the greater ability you have, the greater capacity you have to invest yourself in somebody else. They couldn't love each other. They were so full of self. Jesus was able to love, even though it was His last day before getting arrested, Jesus was able to love because He was so emptied of self. So when we ask, like, hey, do you love somebody? Do you love that person? In our natural thinking, we go like, well, let me see how I feel about that guy or that person. Do you love your wife? Well, let me see how I feel about her right now. You see, love has, is not, does not depend on feelings when it comes to the Bible. Love has to, has to do with, am I willing to give myself for that person? Am I willing to empty myself out of personal ambition and my own agenda in order to care for the one I say I love. Again, you know, God never told me to love the one or to marry the one I love. He told me to love the one I'm married to. That's biblical. Let me say that again. God didn't tell me to marry the person I love. He told me to learn to love the person that I'm now married to. That's love because it's sacrificial, it's selfless. Follow what I'm saying? That's a biblical perspective of love. And here Jesus is actually showing us how He loves. Jesus is God, and He is showing us how to love. He is about to command us to love as He loved. But we are struggling to understand His context of love because in our, in, in our economy, love has to do with how I feel and what I desire. He says, no, no matter what you feel or no matter what you desire, Throw that out. Empty yourself. Deny self. And now love selflessly those that I have placed in your life. So the more selfless you are, the greater ability you have to invest yourself in somebody else. It is the person that has pride issues that acts selfishly and is that person's selfishness that prevents him from serving anybody around him except for himself. So I wanted to mention this because I think it's so pertinent to us. I am becoming part of the, um, the minority report when it comes to Christmas. But I love Christmas because there's something about Christmas I really love. <laughs> Let me say it that way. There's something about Christmas I really love, and it's gift giving. Because gift giving reveals the heart of both the giver and the receiver. Let me say that again. Gift giving is basically... The, the, the act that precedes the revelation of the heart of the giver and the receiver. It's the same thing with service. Jesus was going on His knees and He's washing the feet of Peter. And you're going to see how Peter responds to this service that Jesus was giving him. And then Jesus goes to Judas and Jesus washes the feet of Judas. And you'll see how Jesus' service to Judas causes Judas to respond. Everybody who receives a gift, the moment you receive a gift, your true heart is revealed to yourself and to the one who gave it to you. The moment you give a gift, 
your true intentions are revealed to yourself, to God, and to the people around you. Giving and serving others reveals you and the one you serve and give to. Does that make sense? Some givers don't actually give anything. They're purchasing stuff with their gift. Isn't that true? They have little strings attached to everything. When they give, they do so with the idea that in the back of their mind that they have gained more power or gained more control or leverage within a relationship and they own something now they never owned before now that they've given a gift to another person. So my, my, my encouragement to you is check your heart in your giving and make sure you give because not the person deserves your gift. You give because it was given to you when you didn't deserve it. It's like that with forgiveness. Dave, I don't forgive you for the future stories you're going to be telling about me. <laughs> about escaping out of, a, out of a window, a shower window. <laughs> Let me just say, I don't forgive somebody because I now feel better about them. Well, they, they, they came and apologized, I will now forgive them. No, you've got to even forgive your enemies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You have to walk in forgiveness, not because the person you're forgiving deserves to be forgiven, but because it is my response to having been forgiven. I was forgiven for a lot more than what I am to forgive the person. Right? To whom much is given, much is required. You know the story about the man who was pulled up in front of the judge because he couldn't pay his millions of dollars of debt? The judge says to him, you're free, go. He walks out of the court. He grabs a man that owes him $200. And he says, pay me the $200. He says, I don't have it. He goes... Well, then you're going to become my slave, you, your wife, your children, everybody. You lose everything and you become my slave because you owe me $200. Well, this judge that just forgave him of $2 million heard about it, called him back and undid that whole ruling and said, since you were forgiven for $2 million, you couldn't forgive somebody for $200. Guess what? I will undo that judgment or that I will undo that mercy and now you owe me every cent of the $2 million. And so it is with forgiveness before God. Forgive us as we forgive them. Forgive us. And we continue to walk around forgiving because we have been forgiven. So in other words, my response to people is out of the overflow of my relationship that I have with God. So when I give, it's because it's been given me. When I'm generous, it's because God has been generous to me. When I bless others, I bless others not because they deserve it, because I have been blessed when I never deserved anything. I serve humbly. Why? Because Jesus, in all humility, before the Father, He served me by washing me and sanctifying me. We love others, even our enemies. Why? Because we were loved while we were yet enemies of God. That's why we love an enemy. There's no person you can think about in this earth that is 
such a great enemy that, he was a great, that he's a greater enemy to you than what you were to God when you were forgiven. He forgave you as an enemy. Now we have to live and forgive our enemies too. Love them, pray for them, forgive them. A gift also reveals what is in the heart of the receiver. Now, I just talked to you about the giver. How does the giver respond? But the gift is also reveals what is in the heart of the receiver. You see, when a person receives a gift, they could either look at the gift and be humbled by it. Like, I don't deserve this gift. Thank you. knowing that they don't deserve to be loved, yet they were loved enough to be given something. Or they can attempt to justify themselves as to why they deserve the gift <laughs> and then think maybe, you know what, I, I mean, that's, a, that's nice for him to gift me, but, you know, you could have done better. <laughs> it's Christmas. I deserve gifts. <laughs> mm -mm. Jesus' humility and love were squeezing out of the disciples' what was really inside of them. When he went down onto his knees washing their feet, he was saying, check what comes out of here. Look at what's going to come out. Faithfulness was going to come out of some and betrayal out of another. Verse 6, so, so he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, so he came to Simon Peter. He said to Jesus, Lord, you're washing my feet. Why? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not realize right now, but you will understand later. Verse 8, Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. False humility. Jesus answered to him, if, you do not, if I do not wash you, you have no place with me. Now understand that this story or this event, this account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It has two values, two principles. It's teaching us two things. First, not only is Christ's serving heart on display, showing this is how to love, this is how to serve, this is how to lead as a leader. You lead by serving. But Christ's work of sanctification is also Explained right here. He was washing their feet. He was cleansing them. Something he's about to do on the cross in but a few hours from that moment. It was the very reason he became the very Lamb of God was in order to cleanse you, redeem you, and to sanctify you. And here in Jesus' answer to Peter, when Peter said, You will not wash my feet. He says, Unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Here in Jesus' answer to Peter, he is out of the illustration of servanthood into the reality of spiritual cleansing and sanctification. Jesus is saying, I am the way, and without me, you will never get to God, Peter. If I don't sanctify you, you're not getting to God. He's saying that salvation is found nowhere else but in me. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, watch <laughs> this. Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my, my head. He was saying, you will never wash me. Okay, Lord, wash every part of me. <laughs> 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 yeah, 
You know, when Jesus comes and He puts mercy on you, it doesn't matter how shallow your thoughts are. It touches your heart. And you go like, all right then, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. There's no argument. Jesus, you're right. I'm wrong. Whatever it is you want. And that is what comes out of the true disciple. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, he who has bathed, this is very important, watch this. Jesus said, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. Otherwise, he is completely clean. In other words, other than his feet, he's completely clean, this one who's already bathed. Every now and then, he needs to get his feet washed. But other than that, he's clean. And then he said to Peter and his disciples, you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him, Judas. It was for this reason that he said, not all of you are clean. There's one that's not. So Jesus is affirming their salvation. This is important. But confirming their need for continual sanctification. He's saying, now, you are saved. But that doesn't mean you don't have to keep on getting washed and washed and washed and washed. Because remember, the, the Bible speaks to you about salvation in three tenses. The Bible says you were saved. It says that you are being saved, and it says that you will be saved. It says that you were justified 2,000 years ago on the cross. It says, but you are being sanctified currently, being made holy day by day. And then when you breathe your last, you will be glorified and you will be with Him. So you were saved the Bible speaks of in the past tense. You are being saved in the present tense, and you will be saved in the future tense, justified, sanctified, glorified. Here, Jesus is talking about sanctification. He says, your body has been washed. You are justified, yet, every now and then, your feet need to be washed too. Now, I don't know about you. I'm pretty convinced of my salvation. I'm very excited about heaven, but the but the devil has a way of making you second-guess stuff every now and then, right? <laughs> Imagine Jesus standing in front of you saying, you are bathed. You still have to wash your feet every now and then. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And that's what he told Peter and the disciples. Number three, Jesus commands us to love. Jesus commands us to love. So first, he declared his love. He says, he loved them to the end. He loved them unto perfection, unto eternity, throughout all of their problems that they had with selfishness and self-ambition. And He loved them all the way through it to the end. And then secondly, He shows them His definition of love. He shows them how He loves. By denying His own rights as king, he denies all of what he deserves, and instead of demanding what he deserves, he gives himself as a servant, the lowest of all servants, by washing everybody's feet. And then number three, Jesus now commands us to love. Verse 12, then when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined uh, at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are, you are correct, so for so I am. So if I, the Lord and teacher, watch this, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
He's not calling you to wash the world's feet. He's calling you to wash each other's feet. He's making a distinction between the world and the church. It's important for us to be a church. One of the things we do as a church is we wash each other's feet. We love each other by humbling ourselves before another. Verse 14, so if I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example so that you also would do just as I did for you. Jesus is saying, if I love this way, shouldn't you? Jesus is saying, if I, the king of all kings, serve this way, shouldn't you serve this way? If I, the one who deserves to be served, chooses rather to serve than demanding to be served, Shouldn't you stop demanding? If I can humble myself, how much more shouldn't you humble yourself? You see, the interesting thing is, here is that Jesus did not give them a sermon with 12 points on how to humble themselves. All right, folks, write this down. The way you humble yourself. <laughs> he didn't do that, did he? He didn't say, okay, now he has 13 points on how to serve one another. Or he has 14 points on how to love. Because this is what he was teaching on how to humble yourself in order to serve so that you can love. How to humble yourself to the point where you're able to serve another and in that way love them. He was explaining to us what it means to love like he loves. Instead of teaching them point by point, he taught them by humbling himself, serving them, and showing them that now he has loved them. And this is how his mandate, now this is now his mandate for you and me. We must teach our children and those around us how to love, how to serve, and how to humble themselves. How to love people by serving them. Love people by serving them. Love people by serving them. And when you serve them, you don't serve them with strings attached. If they don't thank you, it didn't matter. You didn't serve them in order to receive a thanks. You served them because he served you. Verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed. Wow. I read that and I got excited. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Oh, that just, that just excited me. I read that and I thought, wow, that's exciting. He's actually telling us that knowing this and doing this makes you a blessed person. It's almost like, you know, when people say, God, I'm going to do this, and I really need you to bless, bless my efforts. And Jesus is saying, Wait, why don't you rather do what I told you to do because it's already blessed, right? Tina got it. <laughs> How do you receive heaven's blessings on your life? Well, follow Jesus' example right here. He taught us. Humble yourself to the point where you're willing to serve with a sanctified heart, not buying stuff in your service. And so love those you're serving. It always starts at home. Verse 18, I'm not speaking about all of you. I know the one whom I have chosen. I know the ones whom I have chosen. So Jesus chose 11 out of the 12 disciples. But this is happening so that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. 
If you don't, didn't know that, th that he who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me is an Old Testament prophecy of what was going to happen in the New Testament to the Messiah. It's fantastic. Verse 19, from now on I'm telling you before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who receives anyone I send receives me. The one who receives the one I send receives me. If somebody comes to you in the name of the Lord and you receive them, you have received Jesus. It's amazing. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, the one who receives anyone I send receives me, receives me. And the one who receives me receives him who sent me, the Father. Verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. Laying back on Jesus' chest was one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter nodded to, the, to, to this disciple and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom he's speaking. He then simply learned, then he simply leaned back on Jesus' chest and said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, That man is the one <clears throat> for, who I, for whom I shall dip the piece of bread and give it to him. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he took it, gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Verse 27. After this, Satan then entered him. Therefore Jesus said to him, what you are doing, do it quickly. You see, Judas shows us the truth. The more the love of Christ is put on display, the more the love of Christ is put on display, the more the children of Satan will hate him. This is important. We're almost coming in for a landing here. Let me say this to you. The more love is displayed, the more hate surfaces against the one loving. God's love softens the heart of the sheep. You will never wash me. Okay, well then wash all of who I am, Jesus. Remember? God's love softens the heart of his sheep, while at the same time hardening the hearts of those who are not his sheep. Judas. This is also evident elsewhere, not just in Judas's context, but it's also evident in how the Pharisees became harder and harder and how their hearts became like rock eventually to the point of wanting Jesus crucified. Jesus' ministry makes some hard and others soft. He makes some hearts hard and other hearts soft. To put it into an even more uh, relevant context, the more biblical the church becomes, the more hateful the world's response to the church becomes. See, you will, you will go like, well, no, that's not true. You know, the more the world just starts washing everybody's feet, the more, excuse me, the more the, the church washes the world's feet, the more the world will love the church. Well, that's not all this, this story is about. This event is about serving one another, the church serving the body, serving the body, and it's about sanctification, which in 
infuriates the world. So again, you see, the more God sanctifies His own through the church, the more God loves His own by sanctifying them through the works of His church, the more hateful the world responds to the church. I mean, you know that that's true. If you, found a, if you find a pastor that preaches holiness and sanctification, you'll hardly, hardly find the world liking him in any way. There's no possible way for the world to love him. The world hates him. That's why if the world, the Bible says, Jesus saying, if the world loves you, watch out, there's something going on that shouldn't be going on. If the world loves you, minister, and you're all ministers, if the world loves you, there's a problem. Jesus said that. They will hate you because they hated him first. When the church declares God's truth without compromises, when people's hearts become even harder and harder and harder towards God. Finally, verse 28. Now, none of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this. For some were assuming, since Judas kept the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we need for the feast, or else that he was, giving, he was to give something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, he left immediately, Judas did, and it was night. That's the end of chapter 13. Let's pray. Father God, I pray very simply today that you help us to love the way we see Jesus loved. That we were able to humble ourselves to the point where we now have the capacity to serve one another with pure hearts because we have been served. We can forgive one another because we have been forgiven. That we can reach out to one another because you reached out to us Thank you, Father, for giving us this ability that we can humble ourselves to the point of serving and serve each other and so love one another because this is the sign of the, to the world that we are in fact your children if we have loved one for another. Amen. Amen. Did you get something out of the word this morning?